hope uh, it's such a joy to be with you this morning. One of the reasons why I wanted to show that video this morning is so you can see what you are a part of. For as we go to the United Arab Emirates and join the Gulf Theological Seminary, you participate with us in the training and equipping of many, many church leaders. All the men that you saw up there speaking are pastors or elders of churches in the United Arab Emirates. They represent hundreds, even thousands of people from all over the world that have gone to Dubai mostly for work and in a sense have been tricked into learning the word of God in local churches. And you get to be a part of that, even as my wife and I go. And so I just want to begin here saying thank you. Thank you to you as individuals. Thank you to you as couples or as families, as Bible studies, the Awana program, to the leaders, the elders here. We thank you. For there is no way we could go if you weren't sending us, if you weren't supporting us in your prayers, if you weren't supporting us financially, if you weren't, weren't supporting us logistically. Yeah, three years ago when we left India, we were not planning to be here that long. We actually had no idea what was going to happen. And we had a lot of things to work through as a family. At the time, we were a family of, of four. And over, over the last three years, God expanded our family, gave us two new beautiful children. Uh, you were a part of that. Even when we re returned from India back in December, you guys filled our fridge with our favorite Indian dishes. Thank you. Uh, two of our kids thought that, like, everybody eats Indian food. Because, like, we just opened the fridge. There's full Indian food. And we're like, babe, that's just that's our fridge. Because of you guys. Thank you. Uh, when we had some mysterious illness, you guys prayed for us and upheld us. One of you even came all the way to our house and, and tried to clean our dishes. Thank you. Thank you. Our hearts are, are kindred with you. We don't want to go. But we have to go. So thank you for upholding us. This morning, even as you saw in that video, because there is this unique opportunity in the middle of the Middle East to train leaders, we have to go and we have to slow down and train people for ministry to raise up leaders for local churches, both in the UAE and in the areas surrounding the UAE, because God wants men to preach the word of God. God desires that there would be elders, pastors, shepherds that would lead local congregations to know and to love and to obey God. And so today we're going to look at three things from 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can open up to there. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, because we're going to look at the urgent word preached. We want to look at the elder's urgency. The elder has a drive. We want to look at the pastor's foundation, the word of God. We want to look at the shepherd's charge to preach. Now, preaching is going to be the main command here. It's a, it's a little intimidating to talk about preaching while preaching because, you know, while you're talking about it, you're thinking about it. And so just bear with me here. It's also interesting because the, uh, the, we know that pastors or elders do many things, counseling, visitation, uh, they, they meet with people, they marry people, they bury people. Preaching is one component or one aspect of what elders uh, do week, week by week, year by year. Today, our text directs us to, to one particular command or verb that we'll be looking at. You know, Paul's charge to Timothy here is remarkably simple and phenomenally urgent. Preach the living word. 
Now, you guys know we go to train church leaders. Millions of people go to Dubai. Thousands of people have gotten saved there. Hundreds of people have been, been equipped and trained and, and gone back to their churches and to make disciples, to, to lead churches in their, in their home countries. It's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. I'm aware that you also, Foothill Bible Church, are in a time of transition. Some are going. Some are coming. And yet our desire is to be faithful to the word, to make and mature disciples so that Christ would be known. And so look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and read along. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I... I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead, victorious, reigning as king. And we ask, I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we may see this urgency, that we may feel, sense the compelling, pressing need, not just for Dubai, but even here in Upland. And Father, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts a yearning to know you in your word, and that even you would call some men, some people to come and lead your people. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, look first with me at the elders' urgency. There's a compelling need. There's a compelling, burning desire that an elder or pastor has. It motivates him. It energizes him. Now, you know there are external ur- things that motivate us externally. There are things that motivate us internally. You guys might uh, be aware of this. Like a, a child, you desire to motivate. You may offer them an ice cream it's an external motivation. Uh, there was a time back in India where, where we heard that there was some, uh, some disturbance on the other side of town. And so we were motivated to leave where we were and to go to a different area. We were externally motivated. Here we see several external motivations that actually Paul wants to drive deep into our hearts, that we would be animated by an urgency. You saw there in verse 1, he says, I charge you. I charge you. Paul likes to charge. He likes to urge. He likes to command. Actually, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are filled with commands and urgent urges, desires that, that, that Paul or that Timothy or that Titus would listen. But this one here in chapter 4, verse 1, it kind of rises to prominence. It, it has a unique weight for three reasons, and I, I want you to see them here, why it's urgent. First, you see, Jesus Christ is coming. There's an urgent need to preach because Jesus Christ is coming to judge. 
Secondly, we'll look at there is an opposition or apostasy that is coming here to the local church. And third, we see an urgency because Paul is going. Paul is going to leave soon. He's going to die, and the mantle of ministry must be passed on. Even as we talk about urgency, though, I just want to, just want to ask, when have you felt an urge recently? When have you felt an urgency to do anything? Our culture right now, our, our context tells us to relax, especially young people. Think about it. We tell young people, relax, play, have fun. Later, when you grow up, that's when you'll do something of importance. Or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, those of us who are maybe a little older, retired, our culture says, relax, you've done your work. You've, you've, you've done well, now enjoy. The one thing that our context, our culture doesn't want you to feel is zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ, an urgency to be about the work of the kingdom. And so let's look right now at, at the first compelling thing here that Jesus Christ is coming to judge. You saw it there in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul charges Timothy before two witnesses, God the Father and Jesus Christ. And, and these two witnesses notably remain with us through the whole passage. And it's a, just a good thing to reflect and, and to, to think about, that, that I, my wife and I, and our, and our kids, as we move to Dubai, we go there in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. Everything that we do is always exposed. It's always visible before God. Everything you do is seen and observed by the great triune God. And Paul wants his command, this charge to Timothy, to be observed or understood in the context of these two great witnesses. And in particular, Paul wants us to see that, that God, Jesus Christ, is coming to judge, that he is going to judge you and me. He's, he's coming, and there will be no one who escapes his pronouncement. There'll be no one who escapes his assessment of who we are. Every single Muslim, every single Hindu, every single junior high boy, every single junior high or high school girl, every religion undecided, every well-meaning, moral, upright, agnostic, every single breathing human will be judged by Jesus Christ. And every single human who has died will be judged by Jesus Christ because he is coming to judge the living and the dead. You saw that. This is not a minor theme in the New Testament. Romans chapter 14, verse 9, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the living and the dead. Second Peter 3, Peter reminds us, he says, Beloved, the day of the Lord Jesus will come like a thief when you're not expecting it. And the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will all be exposed. He is coming. He's coming to judge. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. God considers it just to repay with Affliction, those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted. When? Verse 7, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God 
and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, he is coming with wrath and vengeance on those who do not know him, on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. He comes to judge. There was a sign that said, estate sale. And I like, I like a good estate sale. And so I followed left, right, turn, and I pull into the parking lot, and there's the, the ostensible estate sale. And I noticed something unique right away as I looked at all, all of the little things there. They were all for a man, all about the same size, and many of them brand new. That's like 6'3", maybe like 2'10", so not exactly... I can anyway. And, uh, and as I looked, I'm like, you know, kind of like not really thinking exactly what's here, what's here. But then I hear a conversation kind of over in the corner. A woman, maybe five, eight years older than me, talking with someone else quite emotionally, saying, he was here one day, and then he was gone the next. Oh, he was a good man, mostly. Ah, but the priest came was able to do last rites. So he's in a better place. And the woman who was listening said, oh yes, hun, take comfort. And I stood there and I thought, the, the, the things that I'm looking at laid out here, the estate sale. This man has gone to the presence of God. And Jesus Christ judges the living, and the dead. And there is no last rites that will absolve one of, of what they have done or not done. There, there is nothing that you or I can do in this life to absolve ourselves of this sin, of this guilt, of this wrath that is coming. Being baptized does not cleanse you of your sins. Sitting here, looking very moral and happy, does not cleanse you of that guilt. There is only one thing that will wash away and cleanse you of that guilt, and that is Jesus Christ, as he dies on the cross, he says to you, believe in me, trust in me. Jesus Christ drinks the wrath of God for you and for me, and anyone who trusts in him will not be condemned. And so today, he welcomes you if you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation to look to him and say, I do not want to experience your wrath, O God. I trust in Jesus Christ. Forgive me. And the promise, the promise is to you. The promise is to your spouse. The promise is to your children that if you trust in him, you will not be condemned. For Jesus Christ was risen from the dead for our justification. And so this morning, even as we look at Paul's charge to a pastor like Timothy, we are reminded that Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. And so Christian, I wonder, if you're a Christian today and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, are you ready to see him? Are you ready to, to walk into his presence, to speak with him, to have him speak with you? Because Paul was ready. I don't know if you saw that there. Look down at verse 8. Look, at, look down at verse 8, chapter 4. Paul says, 
Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul entrusted himself to this living, judging Lord. He trusted himself, and he knew that he was going to see him very, very shortly, and he was excited about it. He longed for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you long for his appearing? Is it something that you wake up sometimes in the morning and just think, oh, Lord Jesus, may it be today that you come back and take us to be with you? Because Paul had this desire. He knew that he'd have this crown of righteousness waiting for him, and it motivated him. It gave him this this sense of urgency about his life, that Jesus Christ was going to come and that he was going to be with Christ forever. So we see here an urgency that motivated Paul. Namely, Jesus Christ is the judge, the living and the dead, by his appearing and by his kingdom. Paul told uh, Timothy, preach the word. We see a second thing that energizes or motivates the man of God. Opposition or apostasy is coming. Opposition or apostasy is coming, and specifically to the local church. Look back at verse 3. Look back at verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know, time is coming and now is, right? People's ears are very itchy. Here in Upland, there in Dubai, people long to hear things that make them happy. And so they listen to sermons, they listen to podcasts, they, they watch things on the television that make them smile. They do not listen to things that make them think probingly about their own sin or their guilt or their responsibilities to the world. And so people, they go after false teaching, they go after half-truths, they fall away Many people, like in 2 Timothy, we, hear, we, we see their names, Hymenaeus, Philetus, Demas. They are people that once professed faith. They once joined in the gathering, just like we are here today, and yet now they've fallen away. Perhaps you know of someone who for a time was here six months, a year, five years, and yet now he's walked away from the truth, and, and Albert, and Anne-Marie, a Jason, people I once knew, prayed with, and yet no longer call themselves Christian. People wander away from the truth. They turn away from the truth, and they wander into myth. Notice here that this danger boils up from within the church. Do you see, Paul's, one of Paul's gravest concerns was not necessarily that the prevailing culture would somehow like attack or invade us. It, what he, he wasn't warning often about, about overarching, overburdening governments attacking us. But he does often warn that from within the church, from, from amongst us, there would be people whose hearts are not fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That there are people, maybe even among us today, who might wander from the truth and into foolishness, into, into myth. These people, he says, are actually maybe right here. 
I mean, what would cause someone, what do you think, what would cause someone to turn away from the truth and to wander off after a myth? Maybe to make it more personal. (laughs) What would cause you to stumble? Is there some niggling doubt that you have, some temptation that you have nursed or nurtured? Is there some fear you have that maybe not today, maybe a year from now, maybe five years from now, might cause you to actually turn from the truth? Today is the day to come and talk to someone. Today is the, is the day to find a leader, to find a friend, a Bible study leader, somebody, maybe someone in your small group, and to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I have this doubt. I have this fear. Can you help me talk through it? There's zero shame in something like that. It's actually welcomed in the New Testament to come to your leaders and to talk to come to a friend, to have the one another's, to have someone help you work through a fear because there are people who don't talk about it. They nurture those fears. They don't deal with those doubts, and they grow. They fester like a metastasizing cancer, and it takes them over, and then suddenly they're not there anymore on a Sunday morning. They no longer attend your Bible study. Perhaps even now, some of you can think of someone else here or someone who has been here recently. You haven't seen them in a while. Perhaps this is a week to call them up. To say, hey, brother, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? What are you doing these days? What are you listening to? Maybe their ears have been itching for a different kind of teaching. You know, Dubai is filled with a lot of people with itching ears. They, they are there often for pleasure and for business. Many of them don't want to hear the word of God. And so there is a compelling, urgent need to teach and preach the word of God and then to raise up men who can preach and teach the word of God. And so, Lord willing, that's why we go is to, to raise up another generation of people who can do that. Can do that. So there's an urgency because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to judge because apostasy and opposition is coming And because the Apostle Paul is is going, he's leaving. The mantle of ministry is changing. You know, his his zeal here, his emotion you can sense in in verses 6 and 7. Paul says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure, my death, has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the race. I've kept the faith. You know, Paul writes this from prison. He writes this knowing that he's likely going to die very soon. He's already had um, one court appearance, one indictment perhaps before the emperor, and it didn't go well. And so he believes that he's about to die. And so before he dies, he has to ensure, he wants to ensure that the ministry has been passed on to others who are faithful. And so he's talking to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, take up the word. Timothy, preach the word. Timothy, lead the church. Timothy, fulfill the ministry. He wants the mantle of ministry to pass on in faithfulness to Timothy. It's it's hard not to at this moment just think about all the changes happening right here. You know, at FBC, individuals going 
to, to take up a ministry in a different state or a different country. Individuals coming to, to provide leadership and guidance in different ways. And so the, the, the ministry continues to change. And in fact, it will continue to. In the next five years or ten years, there will be new changes, new things that, that arise. And so there is an urgent, compelling need to preach the word and to raise up others who can teach and preach the word because things are going to change again. And we want to be grounded, settled in God's word. You know, in Dubai, visas and jobs, they come and go. Am I going to be here a year? Am I going to be here five years? Everybody lives with a measure of uncertainty. And yet we have this unique window while people are there. We say, come, take a class. Come, meet with us. Come, uh, dive deep into God's word so that you can uh, perhaps lead or, or serve in your local church. In all of this we, we we're speaking about is concerns the elders' urgency, the, the zeal of a pastor, what motivates them. But we also want to look at the, the pastor's foundation. What is the foundation of a pastor's work? What, what is the foundation of their ministry? And we see that it's the word of God. I mean, the main command here, you see it there in verse 1 or verse 2. Paul says, preach the word. And so we just want to say, what is this word? What, what does Paul talk about concerning these scriptures? You know, most immediately, if you look just a few verses up in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16, Paul says, all scripture is breathed out, it's inspired, it's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, this refers to the Old Testament scriptures that Timothy was, was raised in and was saturated with. He knew the Old Testament. He loved the Old Testament. And Paul points Timothy back and says, that which you were raised in it and saturated with, this is breathed out from God. And so you're going to preach the word. This likely also refers to the growing body of New Testament documents that, that we have today because Paul himself refers back to some of them. Like, for instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul points back and quotes from the Gospel of Luke, from Luke 5, or from Luke 10. He quotes the words of Jesus as Luke recorded, and Paul calls it Scripture. So Paul calls the Gospel of Luke Scripture. We see Paul quoting Jesus in 1 Corinthians 7 and 1 Corinthians 11, and as he does it, he, he quotes the words of Jesus with an authority as reflected like in Math, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark. A little later, 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 refers to the, the, the writings of Paul. And Peter calls the, the, the letters that Paul wrote, he calls them Scripture. And so just as we preach the Old Testament as Scripture, we preach the New Testament as Scripture. And so Paul directs Timothy and, and any man who desires to preach the Word, he says, preach the Word. Preach the Old Testament, preach the New Testament. Because the Word of God is our life, we want to preach it. And even maybe we want to talk about that. Why preach the Word? Why is the Word so important? Why not look at the principles of business that the world gives us? Why not look at, at the, the soothing philosophies of, of self-help? Why the Word of God? Well, the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to pierce the division of the bone and the marrow. 
it is able to, div- to divide the thoughts and intentions of the unknowable heart. The Word of God is powerful. Second Timothy, or Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. Peter says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of a person, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Why preach this book? Because God is speaking through this book. Because the triune, transcendent creator is talking to us through these words. If you think back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, it is profitable for rebuke and for instruction and for training in righteousness. Why? Because it's been breathed out. It's like exhaled by God. Do you, wanna, do you want to hear the words of God? Do you want to sense the breath of God? We open his word and we hear God speak. It reminds me of, of uh, Psalm 19. Turn there with me, Psalm 19. Why preach the word? Why do we need this book? Psalm 19 for me is notable because, you know, the first six or seven verses we see the psalmist speak to the glory of the world. I mean, the absolute sheer beauty of this earth that God has created and the way that God, in a sense, reveals aspects of himself or his glory in the world. And yet, right in the middle of Psalm 19, we see David speak about the word He talks about the word in a way that he does not speak about the created order. Here he says, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Do you see it there? It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. Look at verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them... By your word is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The word of God is this book. And so we preach it and teach it. We want to love it because it is the living God who speaks to us. I just wonder, sisters, brothers, do you love the word of God? Does it dwell richly within you, as we see in Colossians? Does it, does, do you bleed the Bible? Because this is the word of God, the word of the living God, talking to us, revealing his will to us, that we might know him and love him and obey him. Does it, does it dwell richly within you? You know, there are many godly callings. Not everyone is called to be a church leader, an elder, a pastor. Not everyone is is called to be a Bible study shepherd. Not everyone is is called into some kind of formal ministry like to move to Dubai. There are many godly vocations, law, medicine, motherhood, taking care of an elderly, um, aging parent, doing well in school. Well, because there are many stages of life, many vocations, and yet all Christians, all all of us are called to know and to love God. And how do we know and love God? But, but through this book. 
And so read it slowly. Read it quickly. Read it for five minutes. Read it for five hours. Listen to it as you run or as you drive. Speak it to your friends. Memorize it. Tattoo it to your heart or to your mind. Let it dwell richly within you so that you might hear God's will and God's heart for you and that you might obey him and love him. For this is the living word of God. Recently, a friend of mine was going through the deep waters. They were very heavy. They had had a series, over a series of weeks, just one knock after another, just one difficulty after another. And as I talked to him, I could hear him just, in a sense, kind of sink lower and lower. Death was like knocking at their doorstep. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, how can I encourage him? What promise or what hope can I remind him of? And yet something that was interesting, interesting happened. As I was talking to him and thinking, like, like, Really quickly think, okay, what can I, what's the promise, what's the promise? I can't remember because on the spot I'm not really good. And I'm thinking something interesting. He started to quote scripture to me. It started to flow from his lips it, as whispers, as longings, as like yearnings of his heart. And as he was in a sense heaving and just working through some difficulty, the word of God was flowing from him. It flowed from him because it was in him, in his heart and in his mind. It was, it was boiling up deep within him. It, he was bleeding the word of God. And the only way you can do that is if you read it and study it and memorize it and spend lots of time with the word of God. And so, brothers and sisters, do you bleed the Bible? Does it dwell richly within you? Now, maybe it doesn't. But you have the rest of the day. You have all week. You have this whole month. You, you could even now start a new reading plan. You could even right now start a new plan of memorization because it's never too late. It's never too late to read the Word of God and to study it and to know it. And so take up and read, brothers and sisters. Notice in 2 Timothy 4, the command to preach the word we know is given to Timothy and, and in a sense all of the Timothys among us. And so perhaps there will be some men here today who in the back of your mind you're thinking maybe someday I might step into some leadership position. And so for just a moment I want to address you men, young men, maybe older men. Today is the day to take up this work, to know the word of God. To know the Word of God, not as memorized facts, although that helps, but to know it in your heart means to chew on it, means to, to meditate on it, means to let it mull over in your head. And so, men, even if you're not an elder today, maybe someday, today, men, if you're a husband, you are, in a sense, a, a shepherd of your home. Today, if you're a father, you're, you're a shepherd of your kids. Today, take the word up and shepherd your family with the word because it's never too late to build a foundation. And the foundation for pastors is going to be the word of God. Now, let's talk about preaching because the main command here uh, for a shepherd is to preach. Shepherd's work, shepherd's duty, or charge is to preach. Now, the command to preach 
command, the, the word preach just means to proclaim publicly, you know, to, to give an instruction publicly. It's speaking or communicating with an agenda and with authority. You might say an authoritative agenda. It's speaking God's agenda with God's authority. Yet we want to unpack it a little bit, okay? What, what preaching is, because the men that we go to, to engage and, and to equip, they may be preaching a little differently. They, they may preach this similarly, they may preach differently than how we do here. So let's talk about preaching. Preaching means verbal communication. That is speaking with words. Animation, film are powerful mediums. But we preach the word of God primarily with words. Music and drama are important. We should have good music, good drama, good dance, and yet we're going to preach the word of God with words. You know, here in verse 2, we see three words that describe this kind of preaching. Paul says it'll be, uh, you'll reprove and rebuke and exhort. You know, the man of God reproves or corrects. Correct. So those who sin or who are in need of instruction, the man of God comes alongside them and, and puts them back on the right path. He, he corrects them. It's like a, like a dad who sees that his son is being a little rough with the sisters. He, he calls his son over and he says, son, we don't do it that way. He corrects his son. He reproves him so that his son knows how to act. Well, we see a second word here, Reprove and then rebuke. Now, rebuke is a stronger word. It's like a censure, like a disciplinary action. When Christians don't listen to the word of God, when they continue to sin, the pastor or the elder censures them and says, stop doing wrong. There's a great danger here. Come back. It's like when that little boy doesn't listen to the dad and, and keeps roughhousing with the sisters in the way that he's not supposed to. The dad pulls him aside sits him down, has a serious conversation. This is not how we act. He censures or disciplines his son. And so elders together, work together to carefully, lovingly censure those who continue to do wrong. Elders encourage or exhort. You see it there. They, they reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That is to say their aim is to build up. They proclaim, they teach, they preach, to encourage, to edify, so that people are built up in this most holy faith. It's like when that little boy is tired, overburdened. Dad sweeps him up. What does dad say to him? He says, son, I love you. I love you. The church leader, the pastor, the elder, looks to the congregation and says, Christian, Jesus Christ loves you. No, he really does. God really does love you. He is pleased with you. No, he's not pleased with you because you've performed all these things externally. No, he genuinely loves you as the Christian. And so be edified. Be, be encouraged by the love of God for you. The elder or the pastor preaches. He reproves, he rebukes, he exhorts. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we see lots of words talking about spoken communication, lots of word-based activities. We, we see people praying the word and persuading the word. We see people retelling or rebuking or refuting with the word. We people, see people defend and exhort with the word. Uh, we see people love the word and speak it one to another. And so that's what we do. We sing it. We share it. We speak it. We love it together because we're going to be word-focused, word-oriented Christians. 
Now, preaching means speaking verbally. It also means speaking or communicating with an agenda, specifically God's agenda. God's agenda, speaking. And what I mean by that is, is God aims to change you and me through this book. God has a desire for us to be different when we are exposed to or, or engage or experience his word. So when I preach or teach, I want to be careful to teach what, what God is saying. I want, I want you to hear his words, not my words. You know, it's like Pastor MacArthur says, my, my aim in preaching is to make the word of God understandable. That is why we're committed to expository preaching. That's why we're committed to trying to discern what are the original intent of the author, what are the original meanings of this as it was originally written, because I want to myself, I want to decrease so that the word of God may increase. The preacher, the speaker, even as it is intimidating it is to, to speak about preaching while you're preaching, is, his aim is to, to disappear so that you might hear God, the living word, speak. And so therefore, it's God's agenda as he speaks, not the preacher's agenda, not the elder's agenda, not my culture's agenda, whether it be Indian or American or Middle Eastern Dubai. It's not my opinion. It's not some philosophy or sociological study. It's not some self-help. Really, I want you to hear God speak so that you may know his agenda. Why? Because God desires for us to change. He, he wants us to obey. He has a, a yearning as he, as he speaks in his word that we would listen and not just listen as these are suggestions. These are not haphazard um, phrases or verses. No, God has an authoritative aim for us to be different. And so speaking with words, with God's agenda, and with God's authority. That is to say, these are not mere suggestions that we read and choose. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey this, I'm going to read this and this over here, and no, I'm not going to do this. We don't take the Thomas Jefferson Bible. We take the entire Scripture, and we say, God, let me hear from you. Even as we, we think about God's agenda for us and God's authority over us, we're mindful, right, that the world doesn't have the same perspective. And in fact, right now, right now, you think about entertainment, Right now, you, you, we heard about the itching ears earlier in verses 3 and 4. Right now, our culture is completely enslaved by entertainment. It affects every single aspect of our lives. The business community, the edutainment okay, you know, issues, the apps that our, our kids use, um, the, the television that we watch or don't want to watch. Entertainment has infected everything. It even has infected Preaching and teaching. People leave a church if they're not entertained by what they hear on a Sunday morning. The entertainment industry has, a, has an agenda, doesn't it? Just recently, last month, Forbes magazine wrote, there has been no greater disseminator of culture in the history of humankind than that of entertainment. For the media that includes film, television, Advertising and video games, the industry of entertainment provides the mode to not only define trends, shape culture, but to influence our identities in the most profound ways. Our entertainment, our world's entertainment influences you. It already has. Young person, it is not neutral. 
It wants to eat you up. The world has an agenda, and so that's why we need the Word of God to break through the illusion, the deception that, that we are somehow neutral or that we are thinking all of our thoughts after God. No, we need God to come and say, wake up. There is a spiritual reality in which we live, and it is God's reality. And so the Word of God speaks to us authoritatively and clearly because God has an agenda for our lives. He wants us to hear his will and to obey. And just if we talk about speaking with God's authority, I just want to make a comment. It's God's authority. It's not, it's not our authority. Just because someone is up here preaching or teaching or, or has a, a suitor or something, that doesn't give them authority in and of themselves. The preacher speaks words of life because they are God's words. Now, God desires for us to obey, right? Deuteronomy 11.1. 1. God lays out a covenant with Israel right, in the book of Deuteronomy, and he expected Israel to obey. He says there, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commands forever. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus Christ said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. When the, when the storm comes, what happens to that man's house? It remains. It doesn't fall over. It's not destroyed. It's not ruined. Jesus continued, but the one who hears my words and does not do them, he is like the fool who built his house, and when the rain came, the storm came, what happened to the house? Total ruin and annihilation. God desires that you and I would obey his word, would love him, would seek him, would trust him as he teaches us in this book. And so the authority with which I speak or with one of your pastors speaks, it's a delegated authority. It's an authority that God gives the pastor, that, that God gives the father over his home or, or gives the mother over her children. It's an authority that we derive from God to speak his word because it is his word, not my word. It's not your word. It's his word. And one of the, one of the, one of the gifts that we get to give to the new Christian or, or to the people that we train in Dubai is this understanding that you have before you something sweeter than honey, something more precious and valuable than gold, the words of the living God. And so the man who steps into a pulpit and preaches or teaches, it's kind of, it's kind of scary because he doesn't speak his own words. He speaks, hopefully, the words of God. For you who are Bible study shepherds or, or you desire to lead a Bible study, you are, in a sense, shepherding or cultivating people to know eternal truths. Mothers, as you shepherd your children with, with verse and scripture, with theology, you direct them to know the living God. These are, these are not things that we pick up lightly. But there's grace for us, right? There's grace for us even as we direct people to the Word. And so the teacher speaks with God's authority and with God's agenda. Now, what does this preaching look like? What, what does it look like? How does it, what is the experience of it? You know, Paul gives us two things that it sounds like or two, two ways we might see how this preacher or how this preaching looks. You see there, be ready in season and out of season. And then he says, with complete patience and teaching. 
in season and out of season, basically any time, right? Every opportunity, convenient or inconvenient, morning, noon, night, a preacher preaches the word of God with complete patience and instruction. You know, teaching requires patience since dealing with people is sometimes hard. I mean, all of you are really nice. It's all the other people that require patience. You know, in, a, in, in India, a holy man wears a certain color, usually orange or saffron. Um, in the Middle East, it's usually white, uh, the, like a religious cleric will wear the, wear the color, color white. A, a Christian pastor or leader doesn't have a, a, a color in particular that they wear, but you could say they should wear a garment of patience. They should be clothed, robed in patience. That's what I think Paul is, is getting at here. Preach the word, Timothy, at any time. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. You know, interestingly, Paul doesn't describe very many details about style or duration, right? So in South Asia, sometimes preachers teach um, while sitting down with cross-legged and a finger up. Looks a little different, I know, but they do it. There are other places where, where they stand, other people, other places where they might sit in a chair. The Scripture does not mandate exactly how the teaching or preaching um, is actually performed or done. How long should it be? 20 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes as we're getting to? Now, does, it, does, it, uh, does he say you use a lot of illustrations? Do you not use, there's, there's a lot of freedom in the way that one preaches or teaches the word of God, granting that it is the word of God. Do you teach or preach formally, informally, point by point, dialogical? There's a lot of freedom. And so don't compare yourself to other preachers or teachers if you're practicing this. Or even uh, fathers in your own home. Don't compare yourself with other fathers. Be the best teacher that you can be. And that's still going to take a lot of work. Be the best preacher or teacher or, or student of the word that you can be, and God will bless your teaching. God will bless your studies. Very shortly, uh, you will be launching the training center here. And some of you are already thinking about it. And so I praise God for you. But I want to plant a seed for those of you who haven't yet started, about, started thinking about it. Maybe you're thinking, no, nah, that's not for me. Why not? Why not in a year or two dive deep into the Word of God and find yourself equipped to, to study, to learn, to teach, to lead in, in, in some way? Perhaps God is leading you to be a Bible study shepherd, a Bible study leader. Maybe you're going you're gonna to serve in Awana or in one of the Sunday school uh, classes. There are so many ways we can use our gifts um, within the body of Christ. And so, in summer, I just want to say, bakers bake, my grandpa. Doctors doctor, plumbers plum. Elders preach. Pastors shepherd. The desire that I have, that my wife and I have to see elders and pastors raised up in Dubai is not altogether different than, than the desire here that your church leaders have to see you grow and deepen in your faith and grow into maturity. And so I just want to say, I want to ask for your help. I want to ask that you would pray. Pray for us and pray for your leaders here because we have needs. I, we, we don't know what to do sometimes. We need wisdom. Pray for our wisdom and discernment. Pray for our patience. Uh, you know, secondly, you can pray that, um, I guess patience is my second prayer, huh? We should pray twice for patience. 
Yeah. Pray that we faithfully preach the word, that we're, that we're faithful, that we can discern and, and study it well and then teach it well. You can say thirdly, as I go through my list here, pray for more leaders. Think about Dubai. Oh, my goodness, there's so many opportunities, so many Indians, Pakistanis, so many Kenyans, so many Filipinos that we have the opportunity to impact. So pray that the Lord would raise up leaders there. Pray for that God would raise up leaders here, uh, that the training center would be over, over, overwhelming, overwhelmed with people. <laughs> and then maybe as we go to Dubai, we just ask for your prayers for many little details. We're still waiting for paperwork, still hoping that we'll be able to get the visa we need. Uh, pray for our kids as we transition because some of them are still saying, what is Dubai again? Pray for my wife and I as we shepherd them. Overall, I look back at, at Paul's central command here. Pray that we see ourselves, envision ourselves as in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, that we might preach the word with urgency. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and reigning on high even now. Lord, we have praised him. We have exalted him. We have heard him speak in his word. And even now, we just want to pause and say, thank you, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for, for plucking us out of the darkness and setting our feet on the rock, for giving us light and life. And Heavenly Father, even now, I pray for specifically the men of FBC, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts, that they would be godly and humble leaders in their home, that they would be men who, who, in whom the word dwells richly. Father, I pray that you would give them the ability to shepherd their families um, in the context of this church, that they would be known to be people who love you because they love your word. Father, we know that some who are coming, like the Sinclairs, or uh, some who who are going like the Rees, Lord, I pray that you would even now set your spirit upon them. They would be marked as men who preach the word. That they would preach the word in season and out of season. They would rebuke and reprove and, and correct and edify. Father, I pray that they would be ready with a, with a judicious and encouraging word for the time. Lord, I, I just ask that you give them complete patience and instruction. And holy God, even as FBC continues to, to change and to grow and to mature, Lord, I pray that they would be a vibrant testimony and light here, that many would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would turn, become his disciples, and experience salvation. Holy God, we exalt you in all these things. In the name of Jesus, amen.